Hi, I'm Brianne Bennis, and this is No End in Sight, a podcast about life with chronic illness. This week's episode is a little bit different because I'm talking to Blake Stuker, whose daughter India was recently diagnosed with spinocerebellar ataxia type 19. Since India is just two years old, she isn't yet in a position to share her own story, and I'd love to know what you guys think about this kind of interview. I think you'll find a lot of the details relatable, even though the perspective has shifted. Blake was also at home with India while we were talking, so you'll occasionally hear her babbling and moving stuff around. Most of the time, the background noise is minimal, so feel free to skip ahead or read the transcript if you have trouble hearing at any point. And speaking of transcripts, I want to thank Felicia and David for helping me out this week. Transcripts are super important, but unfortunately time-consuming, so I'm very grateful for their help. If you have any spare time and brain energy and want to help out with No End in Sight and the transcripts, please get in touch. Before we start, here's my disclaimer. This podcast is not intended as a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Make sure you talk to your practitioner about any questions or symptoms. So usually when I'm talking to people, I ask them about if they were healthy as a kid. So I guess the equivalent of that was... (laughs) Hi. Hello. He's a camera hog. She'll want to be the whole thing. Yeah. No, video chat is great with little people. They're so cute. Um... So how was her health, I guess, as a baby, like as once she was born? How did things get started? When she was born, she had good health. There was no, there was no indication that she was going to have any, anything wrong with her at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She was born healthy. All the testing that they did when she, when babies were born came back healthy and normal. Um, it wasn't until she was starting to meet milestones. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, she wasn't meeting the milestones. And I just shrugged it off thinking it was like, I mean, I didn't shrug it off as far as severity now, but it was like some kids are slower than others, and they catch up with her, and that's what I thought. Because our first daughter was super quick. Mm -hmm. She was ahead of the curve on everything. And then we started getting tests done. People were just saying, oh, she's just lazy. She'll get there. Yeah. Um, You know, and we were just like, yeah, but... She's missing miles. She's not walking. She's still not talking. She's not. A bunch of things added up, and we finally got her tested um, as far as she had ataxia. They said, well, it seems like she has ataxia. Mm-hmm. So they did a genetic test about, I want to say October. Okay. And how, how old was she at that point? She's 23 months old today. She'll be two years old a month from now. So she was, we started getting her looked at last March. Okay. And people were kind of shrugging off, well, that's probably not what's wrong with her. And and the neurologist, because they said it was a neurological issue, they didn't know what. So he said, let's just do a genetic test to rule anything out. It was a 30% chance that we would even get anything back. Mm -hmm. Well, it came back with spinocerebellar ataxia type 19 de novo, um, which, I don't know if you know what de novo means, but that means it's a completely new mutation. Mm-hmm. Right. It's, so, neither of you have it. No, it wasn't hereditary, yeah. Right. And so, her. typically, this would be a hereditary diagnosis? Yeah. Exactly. Typically, it would be hereditary. It would be found in, in me or my wife, and it wasn't. Right. So, even before the diagnosis, we were already on the ball, having her in PT, OT, mm-hmm. uh, speech, 
and uh, some other therapy things for her fine motor skills and chewing because she still doesn't keep her mouth open. She still drools. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so we just kept pushing ahead with that. And then we got the news and it was like, holy crap. You know, start doing all the research, start yeah. trying to find out what it is. Because yeah. I've never heard of it in my whole life. And no. I don't. Sure. I do have genetic diseases that run in my family, but I'm not a carrier, nor do I have it. As far as my genetic test goes, it skipped me. Mm-hmm. And so I was expecting a lot worse um, until the results came, and I was like, oh, my gosh. And that was kind of all over research, try to find out what it was. Now that we have an idea of what it can do, because there's over 60 different types of spinal cerebral ataxia. Mm-hmm. And some are, some are often fatal. Some are more mild, some are severe. It, it depends on the type that you have, the mutation that you have. Mm-hmm. And because her new, they can't really give us a whole lot of information about it. They can only give us what's based off of the other 58 or 59 types. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> it's kind of scary to say the least when we ask, as far as life expectancy, they couldn't give us a guaranteed amount, which I, I understand. Right. But they said they would... They'd, it'd be unlikely to see her live to 60. Sure. Which, yeah, I mean, I probably won't be around when she's 60. I'm 30 already, so. Right. <laughs> that's a lot. Yeah. But, I mean, that's that's where we came to terms with that. And she's had already had an MRI. She had an EEG yesterday, mm-hmm. and we haven't got those results back yet. Sure. So it was just, she, they told us she'll, she'll keep progressing mm-hmm. and, and growing as a normal kid and everything like that. And then once the disease really starts to fight back at her mm-hmm. is when we'll start to take steps backward and her walking will change to just getting by to eventually she could be in a wheelchair or a walker of some sort, but so <clears throat> to change her whole lifestyle to be super active. Yeah. So it takes longer for it to break down those muscles and tendons and stuff like that. So she would have a longer time being a normal kid, I guess, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, so you said you were doing some like occupational therapy, physical therapy, et cetera, et cetera, before you had a diagnosis. And what does that look like with someone who's so young? Um, basically it's just a lot of playing, you mm-hmm. know, <clears throat> her age to strengthen her legs because her leg muscle or her reflexes are strong. She has the muscle to do the stuff she needs to do, but it's all about getting it from here to where it needs to go neurologically. Mm-hmm. And so they would have to do stuff like walk, um, trying to straighten her feet out because her gait was really, really wide. Mm-hmm. And they gave her these things called SMOs, which helped turn her feet inward to straighten her gait to help her walk a little bit better, which we have those and they've been helping. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for the most part, it's just having her push stuff that slides on the floor, a little weight behind it to work her legs, work her muscles. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Stepping stones, teaching her how to step over stuff because she doesn't really know how to do that still. So if something's on the floor, she's going through it, not over it. Yeah. Because um, she just cruises. She don't care. Yeah. <laughs> so OT, they work on, like, her fine motor skills, like, they have the big – I remember as a kid having, like, a big sandbox. Mm-hmm. Well, they have a sandbox, but instead of being full of sand, it's full of these beans, little beans. So they can pick the little bean up and move it and work on her fine motor skills and mm-hmm. stuff. And it's all about working – different yeah. things techniques to get her to build new pass- passageways neurologically and help her you know keep progressing mm-hmm. okay yeah that makes sense and i'm sure it 
started before, but for the most part, you've continued with all of that, or all of that still made sense after you got a diagnosis? Yes. They said that, I mean, they said you guys are on top of it. You're doing the right thing. Keep pushing for it because even though she's not, she's at home, she's still doing basic PT stuff. She still pushes stuff across the floor, her walker, or not her walker, her, uh, her food table where we put her in, she'll push that across the floor, the laundry basket. I mean, she still does that stuff every day. Mm-hmm. And me and my wife work with her walking, we'd sit 10 feet apart and trying to get her to walk back and forth to us mm-hmm. at the beginning. Now she can walk. She walks great. You can tell she has something wrong with her because she looks like a junk person, mm-hmm. but she can walk her room. Yeah. And then, so then, it's so, okay. So then you got a diagnosis and you started researching um, and this was new, of course, since it's not in either of your families. Has that is has it helped learning the explanation? So ataxia is like a degener a neural degeneration. Is that right? Uh, yeah, it's because hers is uh, atrophy of the cerebellum. Okay. Yeah. So as that deteriorates and, and atrophies, it you mm-hmm. lose motor because right. that's where all your bills come from. But yeah. And then, so you, so you got to learn about that, which probably felt like a really big yeah. crash course in this specific kind of medicine that I know I had never thought about a lot of this stuff before. Yeah, no, there was so much stuff that, because when you look up, just her, if I were just look at spinocerebellar ataxia type 19, mm-hmm. wait for results to pop up on Google, it doesn't give me what I want to know. It right. gives you... Uh, spinocerebellar, cerebellar ataxia, ataxia, all these other stuff, but the exact thing. Yeah. I searched through hundreds of pages till we found something that had the name in there, but no description. Mm-hmm. So, but it it was hard to find, but we did find information eventually. We did reach out to uh, Nord. Um, they're an organization that, that deals with this and helps and spreads awareness and that the National Ataxia Foundation We've got in touch with people all over the world, in the UK, um, mm-hmm. a taxi, all these people that are connected through that just for more information have been great. And I mean, we've mm-hmm. definitely know what it's about now. Yeah. <laughs> and it's only been two weeks. Yeah. Wow. So fast. Um, yeah. So, so now you're learning about it and you're reaching out uh, and you were already doing some of the therapies. And so mm-hmm. what... I'm sure because you're very in the middle of this and you guys have two kids. So I can only imagine like how brain exploding that would be to try and stay on top of everything. But um, in your outreach, like what else have you learned about treatment or what are people trying? Are you, are you there yet? Like, are yeah, there- no. Oh yeah. I've, I jumped on it pretty quick. I mean, <laughs> when, when a friend has something wrong with them or breaks their leg or something, you, you want to do your best to help your friends or whatever. But when it comes to your kid, it's a whole different ballgame. I bet. Yeah. It's your whole world. Oh, I know. So once that happened, I was like, okay, well, what do we need to do? Alaska, it's a great state. It's beautiful. I mean, it's not a great state, but I, it's beautiful here. You like I don't, it. I like it at its best, which is summertime, and it's only two months. The rest of it sucks, and it's all snow, and it's horrible. But that being said, the, the medical here for rare disease is not even close to on par. They don't have anything to mm-hmm. support these families and other kids with rare diseases. They sign right. to Seattle or UCLA or other states that, you know, that costs a lot of money over the course of a lifetime. Sure. Yeah. I did find out um, 
the Dr. Fogel, Dr. Brent Fogel, he is a, I don't know if I, it's right for me to say world renowned, but he's, he's very up there, very tip top as far as neuro, neurological goes. Mm-hmm. And he specializes in ataxia. He's been trying to find a cure and he is the chief investigator of all these clinical tests and studies that are going on. And he actually picked her up. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's, I believe it was a two year wait just to get in to see him. And mm-hmm. we will be going to see him May 6th. May 6th. Okay. So soon. So he want, yeah. He wanted it. He was like, we sent the referral. He approved it himself. Yeah. Um, and so we have to fly. Well, it's in May. So we're trying to move from Alaska back to the lower 48, Washington state where I'm from. Mm-hmm. So we're close to Seattle where we do have a geneticist who is the best in the country. And then we can get to UCLA when we need to, which won't be as often, but right. it's just learning that these, they do have clinical drugs that are being tested. They do have phase three trials on uh, trigrilazole and tririlazole, all drugs that are for ataxias that are in these phases where they're about to be completed or unable mm-hmm. for human, not human for general consumption and whatnot so um th- they are making advances it's just it's been slow and the studies that are going on right now some of them are a little more extreme where she won't really benefit because they're 100 year study mm. mm-hmm. so i mean we'll all we'll right i'll be gone by not really gonna yeah i don't want to put her in put her in that study to do some research on her but i sure. don't want there's other ones that are more beneficial to her and, and, and other things that have this yeah definitely um yeah and so so that's on the like drug are they mostly looking at uh drug studies like that's, uh, what, that, you, that's what you've learned about they, primarily there was what i've learned about primarily is the drug studies um because they're the, the reason why brent Fogel is the best is because he's already on the verge of, of a drug that seems to be reversing the effects of alzheimer's mm. this sca is what it says online is it says spinal cerebrotaxia is a mix of ALS, um, muscular atrophy, Parkinson's, and Alzheimer's all in one. Because mm, it's impacting so many systems. Exactly. So if this drug helps Alzheimer's, there's something in it that could very well help all, everybody with all these types of ataxias, not to cure the disease, but to definitely slow the progression, which, I mean, right. if I could slow it to 80, I'll be happy. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of what we're all doing on a much yeah. smaller scale, right? Yeah. So it, it, there is other natural ways too, like her diet has to change. Mm-hmm. Um, no processed stuff, which I love to eat. I'm not the smallest guy, but I mean, I love barbecue. I love everybody loves all the good stuff that yeah. tastes amazing. That it's not good for you, and she's not supposed to have that stuff. And we're not going to completely rob her of it. Hi, pretty girl. <laughs> so we're not going to rob her of it. She does have to eat a lot. She's gluten-free stuff, which I made fun of that when I was a teenager, and now I'm like, well, that's what we're going to eat. Yeah, now you're the gluten police. I know. I'm so guilty of it, but... Yeah. But, but so... Yeah, it, yeah. It'll be for the best. Yeah. I know diet stuff is really hard, and it must be even harder with um, little people for about a million reasons. Yeah, because she won't... Know. Throw it out. Get it out. Yeah, yeah. Because little kids already don't want to eat, like, I'm sure, 75% of what you put in front of them. <laughs> he grabs it and throws it to the dog. Yeah. You're like, cool, yeah. good, good. I'm glad that we figured out all of these, like, alternative food options if Cheerios are off the table and all Love that stuff. The dog. Yeah, all the health food. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, because I wonder, I don't know, I mean, I definitely don't know about this diagnosis, and I don't know very much about ataxia, but I have gone through phases of reading about Alzheimer's and some of the other stuff, and it is it is interesting the way that they kind of overlap with, like, Alzheimer's has been connected to high blood sugar and diabetes and insulin resistance, and so, like, diets that can manage that stuff can help with all kinds of neurological symptoms. Oh, yeah, and I mean, that's why... At her age, because she's still so young, I mean, she's not even two yet, mm-hmm. make a dramatic impact over the course of the next 10 years, where yeah. if we just let her eat crap at McDonald's for the next 10 years, that, could, that ain't going to help her. I mean, mm-hmm. but yeah, the younger, the better, and the better you eat, the better off you're going to be. Mm-hmm. Not that it's going to beat the disease, but right. you're going to be better off than if you didn't, right? Yeah. Yeah. And something, um, gosh, I talk about this book a lot, but there's a book called The Walls Protocol, and it's about... Um, MS specifically, but she also talks about how it relates to other neurodegenerative stuff. And she, she's this doctor who had multiple sclerosis and ended up reversing a lot of her symptoms through diet. And yeah, if, if you have any more brain space and you want to read something like this, I really, it's a good book. I recommend it. Um, because she's doing clinical trials with this diet and people with multiple sclerosis, but she believes that it would also help like people with Parkinson's or people with Alzheimer's or that kind of thing. Oh um, yeah. You know? And it's like, how can we go back and help our bodies on a cellular level to rebuild and repair as much as possible to try to keep up with things that are causing problems? Oh yeah. And because also with, uh, what they can do like stem cell research, mm. that's hard to do. Mm-hmm. Because you're born with, you're already born with all the brain cells you're gonna need, all the everything you're gonna need. So introduce, introducing a foreign stem cell, it's like a fifty-fifty chance. Maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. Your body will kick it out, so it doesn't seem the safest to me. Yeah. Instead or for it, I just say there's stuff I've read about it, and it's like you can reverse some of the effects through just eating healthy or or having. I guess with in some of the trials I've read about that have happened in the past with ataxia, uh, a significant boost of B12, I think it was. They gave mm-hmm. them like 500 milligrams three times a day of B12, mm-hmm. and that, that helped something with it. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was like these crazy high dosage, dosages of, of that potassium mm-hmm. that really helped. Uh, so, there, I mean, that's just, you can get that from an apple or just, you know, being in the sun. Or however you can absorb it or, or intake it. Yeah. But, I mean, the better the better you eat, the better you're going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that must be a real wake-up call because it's something that people don't, like many of us don't have to think about for however long. Mm-hmm. I think it doesn't, these choices don't catch up to probably the majority of people until they're in their, I don't know, 50s or 60s, honestly. But yeah. Older, yeah. Yeah. Now that I'm talking, because I certainly have chronic health problems, but like as I'm talking to more people with chronic illness, it's it's getting normal to me that everyone I talk to is like, oh, and I eat gluten free and I eat sugar free and I eat dairy free and I do all this stuff, but it's not what most people are doing, and it's a huge but, adjustment. Yeah. It's a, yeah. It's definitely a wake up call. You're like, oh man, like of course uh, McMuffin sounds good for breakfast because it tastes good, but. You really should be eating kiwi and an orange and some organic oatmeal with no sugar in it. And it's like, that just sounds boring. Yeah. You, yeah. It takes a while to find food you like, certainly. Um, so then 
again, I know that it's all super, super new, but also because you have, you have two kids. So you've kind of been through the process before, right? Of like you would send your kids to daycare or they go to school or not, depending on what you do. But, um, how, how has it impacted like everything else about having a kid growing up? Basically, does that make sense? Um, it, it does make sense. Like, it, it does. It has made it harder. Like raising our first daughter, who's only four, she'll be five in a couple months. It was obviously I wasn't easy. Actually, she was harder to because we, it was our first mm-hmm. child, that was the first time being parents. And with India, it was a lot easier because we had already done it once. Mm-hmm. As far as the disease has kind of, we, we didn't expect this to ever happen. We sure. don't expect. You don't expect you or anybody you know to ever have something mm-hmm. bad or rare happen to them. So it hasn't necessarily made parenting harder with her, but it is it is hard to think about. And I mean, it, it doesn't kill me that we'll be taking care of her the rest of her life mm-hmm. until she passes, um, whether it's in 20 years or 50 years. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. I mean, whatever she needs, she's going to get of course. But, you know, you, we, we wanted her to thrive. We wanted her to be able to drive a car and, you know, go to a concert or go to prom and all the stuff that a lot of people take for granted. Mm-hmm. Like, I hate driving everywhere. I hate that I have to drive to work all the time or because I'm a contractor. I own my own business. So I got to drive and pick up everything and do everything. And that's something she's never going to be able to do as, as far as we know. Right. Based on what you know right now. If the EEG comes back that she has epilepsy because of this disease, she'll never get her driver's license. Mm-hmm. So it's just small stuff like that that you, you never thought about when you were in the womb or when my wife was pregnant with her. Yeah. Like, man, now everything you wanted her to be able to go to college and do all these things that we're entitled to do, Yeah. she don't do that now. Right, right. And you just don't know, like you said, because the doctors aren't able to give you a good yeah. idea of what to anticipate. Um, mm-hmm. And that would be hard. It's like a grieving process for what you thought basically would be happening. You just sit in denial, like, and I, I, I'm in denial. I don't think this is gonna take her life, but I mean, it will eventually. Mm-hmm. And I'll come to terms with that when it happens. Because right now, I'm not worried about her dying. I'm worried about getting her treatment and care, and living the best that she can while we have her, without thinking about that. Because that's something nobody wants to think no. about, whether that child or your your child is in their 20s or 30s nobody wants to be yeah of course and and so that makes sense so you guys are looking to move to somewhere yeah. that is more i mean there's a- access to care like you were talking about and probably somewhere just that's more populated in general might have other services and stuff as well because well that's what we've figured out we yeah I'm, I'm not from alaska my wife and the kids are born here mm-hmm from Washington State, which is eastern Washington, the other side from Seattle. Mm-hmm. And that's only like four hours away from the Seattle Children's Hospital. So we we're moving back to there because her physical therapy, her occupational therapy, speech, all the therapies she has to do here in Alaska are all in a different city. Mm. You got to drive 30 like, miles that 20 miles that yeah, way. From each all, other. Yeah. Oh, yeah. From, yeah. And so but in Spokane, where I'm from, she can have all of that under one roof and mm-hmm. one place. Mm-hmm. And if we need to go to Seattle Children's Hospital in two months, we can drive there in four hours. Right. When we have to go to UCLA, it's only like a $100 plane ticket one way. Yeah. And that won't be hard to, to pay for 
her and my wife or us as a family to go right. if we need. So it just makes it easier. And we've we've already had that. We actually just believe it or not, we've been sharing her GoFundMe like crazy mm-hmm. to try and money to be able to do this. And this morning, it ended up on the local news down in Washington. Oh. Just almost 3,000 miles away from me. Mm-hmm. So, and they're, they put it on their page, and I didn't realize, I didn't ask them, I didn't contact them or anything. So we were rather blown away. Yeah. And like, where did all called, these people come from? <laughs> oh, yeah. I called them to find out who did it, just yeah. so I could personally message them or call them and thank them. And they ended up wanting an interview, and now they're putting her whole story on the news tonight at 6. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, if that's not good exposure, I don't know what is. And yeah. The sooner we get down there. So I was really blown away by that much people. Yeah. Yeah. And are helping. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. Because how has that, the GoFundMe process been? This is like, there's a running joke about American healthcare that it relies on GoFundMe, unfortunately. It seems um, like. Yeah. And so how has that been to set up and run? Um. It's been fairly easy, though me and my wife are both very hesitant on doing it mm-hmm. because it's hard to promote that without looking. We're not needy. This isn't for us to buy a new house or go on lavish vacations or right. whatever. Maybe I mean, and that's a, a stigma that sticks with any sort of charity or donation. If somebody's pocketing it and doing what they want. Yeah. And I kind of, me as a person, I didn't care if people thought that. Mm-hmm. I'm not about them, and I'm not trying to please anybody else, including donors. I'm raising the money to get my daughter somewhere where she has a better chance at receiving help, getting help, and living a longer life with mm-hmm. uh, the rest of her family. As and a, a good support. quality of life. Yeah. Good quality of life. Yeah. And so I, I didn't have a hard time being like, well, I don't care what people think. I'm kind of stubborn. Mm-hmm. But I mean, when it came to the kids, I really didn't care what people thought of my but it was easy to set it up it was easy to promote it i've been being added to rare disease groups for support without posting the gofundme there but i would go personally message people that i didn't know mm-hmm. that sure it looked like a scam because they don't know me i'm asking them to promote my daughter's thing and yeah they probably got turned down but we actually as of today have had almost a thousand shares of her gofundme alone in two weeks mm-hmm. we've raised forty six hundred dollars already mm-hmm um, so it's 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 cruising very well. It's going very fast. And then with the news getting involved this morning, I don't I don't see it really slowing down. Yeah. But it was I didn't believe how many people actually. I knew people cared, but I didn't expect them to share. Yeah. You continue to share after two weeks of being being blasted with this in their feed. Yeah. It's been it hasn't been that bad. We haven't gotten a lot of bad feedback. And when we did it, I just shrugged it off. I didn't care. I'm like, well. I don't need them in her corner. We right. want people in her corner. Right. And if people are mad, they don't like they don't have to donate, so that's fine. Yeah, and I'm I'm not taking their money to go buy mm-hmm. a beer or whatever stupid stuff people buy that scam don- donors, but Yeah, who knows. Yeah. But yeah, it's like one of the fears. And it can be hard to ask for help, I think in general, when it's That's where it was hard for us too. We didn't yeah. want you be able to I wanted to be able to fund it all. And people, I'm a contractor. People are like, oh, yeah, he builds houses. He makes a bunch of money. But I'm still in my first year of business. So I'm still not even established. Right. So we would have liked to have funded it all by ourselves. But Alaska is a very, very expensive state to live in. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculously expensive. So we, we definitely needed the help. 
Yeah. And how does, so you are self-employed. How um, does your health insurance work? Does your wife have health insurance or are you paying for it? We were paying for it, but it was, it didn't really cover it much. Yeah. Um, we had to look through because she was getting help through, the, it's a, organ, a state organization up here called MISCA. It was like the Matsu Valley Children's something. They help kids with disabilities. Okay. Because a global developmental delay, um, she's considered disabled. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to help her and they wanted to put her on these programs that would help her get the equipment that she's going to need to be able to walk straight, help with her posture and stuff. Mm-hmm. So they, she, they put her on what's called Denali Kid Care, which is, it's a state insurance thing for kids um, that help her get into her appointments. Um, and they don't cover everything. They cover a good amount of stuff. But before that, like her MRI was $3,800. Yeah. It was like, uh, you know, most middle-class people don't just have a couple grand sitting in their bank account, you know? Yeah. Um. If I was a millionaire, yeah, I'd be like, we'll pay for it all cash. We don't need insurance, but that's not how the world works. Right. And certainly not how the United States works. That yeah. everything is so expensive. And oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So she's on, there's like a public, that, I guess that makes sense. This is true for a lot of people with chronic conditions. So there's a public system that yeah. helps, but still especially if you need to travel for specialists and stuff so much further, there are limitations to that. Exactly. Like if she were to travel, um, that's why we're trying not to be in Alaska by the time her thing starts, because it it would be probably cheaper. So it is cheaper to fly from Spokane to LA. Mm -hmm. Great direct flight. And I think it's like $139 to where all four of us could go. But if we stayed in Alaska, that would only pay her and my wife to go or her and me to go just one parent and the other's got to stay care of our oldest and right yeah so it's yeah you you realize that there's all these extra things to deal with that you probably haven't had to oh yeah before yeah completely new so it's still a learning curve yeah it's never going to be cheap, per se. I mean, they told us it's going to cost millions of dollars over the course of her life if she just lives a more average life. Yeah. And I was like, well, that's fine. It can cost $20 million. I mean, I just got to work harder to make more and yeah. work harder to work more. And it just Figure ups the stakes. So, yeah. yes, constant learning, constant thinking. Yeah. 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 Brain didn't. I think I could handle this. Yeah, I bet. I'm sure your brain is very tired from trying to go through it all yeah it's or keep this and get my teeth pulled. yeah yeah plus you're getting your teeth out yeah um and has anything as you've been learning like a million things at once over the last couple of weeks is there anything yeah. that has really surprised you i mean i'm sure the whole thing is a surprise but yeah. like however you thought that the system worked or that health worked or whatever i think no, we definitely were surprised because the the geneticist we have up here, he's a really good guy. He's really good at what he does. Um, he's the only pediatric neurologist in Alaska. Mm-hmm. So he went out on a limb for us, and once he got the diagnosis back and learned about the time we did what she had, um, he went and messaged a, an old friend of his who is a world-renowned geneticist in Seattle. 
and referred this. So, I mean, I was really surprised that we went, she went right to the top of, of these lists. Right. So she on a two-year waiting list. She got in within two months, and they said, well, we're sorry, our turnaround time's really slow, about 48 hours. And we're like, the turnaround time in Alaska is six to eight weeks. Yeah, 48 hours sounds great. Yeah. And I was like, that's fine. We'll take that any day. And uh, it was just, that was surprising that, unfortunately, because it's so rare, people want to get at it super quick, which is beneficial for us. Yeah. Or her. Um, and then the other surprising things were is we would take, him to the doc- take her to the doctor for her regular checkups. And she would actually, she still is progressing. She's getting, not better, she's getting more stable. Mm-hmm. So it was crazy to be able to see what she what she did before in the videos that we had and then how she is now walking into the doctor's office instead of needing to be carried into the doctor's office. Mm-hmm. So there's many surprises. Those are the ones that I remember the most that I guess are better to think about than the bad surprises. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's it like everywhere, coming from all angles probably right now. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah, as mobility, like, her gait is improving, her mobility is improving. Yeah, but the milestones are different. Jumping, she's starting to say more words, still not quite talking all the way, but she's she's progressing. She's better now than she was two months ago and two months before. So she's progressing in a good direction. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's okay. Yeah, I'm sure, I mean... I don't, I don't have kids, but my sister has three kids, and I have taken care of them for short periods of time before, so I'm, I know that it's just chaos no matter what. That's the closest yeah. I've gotten to parenting. But. <laughs> no, there's not a word in their vocabulary. Yeah. Yeah. No, don't do that. And they're like, what? That's this? They're like, sounds good. I'm on it. Um, Yeah. So it's diet and finding new specialists and trying out medication. And yeah, it sounds like paying attention to the ways that she is developing are really important too, so that you can like remember that things are still changing. Cause I'm sure getting a diagnosis changes your perspective on everything. Right. Like you think, you yeah, know, we did, it's hard because we did, we thought now we have a diagnosis. Okay. And now, it's going to be the end of the world now. She's going to start just not being able to talk or she's going to go blind, which is a possibility. Or mm-hmm. going to stop walking. And then, I mean, it was hard to take that up front. But then they're like, no, no, she's still going to progress like a normal child for X amount of years. But once the disease starts to catch up, yeah. then she'll to, you know, degress and, and yeah. start to take control over her. Right. If we don't anything about it i mean regardless if we do or not we can either slow it or let it happen the way it's going to happen so yeah we're going to try to stop it, but yeah 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 to care and then how are you guys doing because you haven't had a chance to rest yet it sounds like or like process or not really i mean my yeah we're both super hopeful we're both you know pushing hard for our daughter obviously yeah of course but i mean it, it is I've never been so damn busy in my life. <laughs> so uh, aside from working, working the regular job is, is fine. That's just something that I have to do. That's just how it is. But then I know my wife is at home 
with both of our kids having to pull both of them around to all these appointments just for India mm-hmm. while still India or Eileen, our oldest daughter, you know, mommy time, daddy time, yeah. um, giving right. her attention because for the rest of her life, all, most of the attention has to be on India. So we're trying not to yeah. show blatantly. Right. But still, it's just about balance and it's hard to balance all of her appointments and then trying to keep our oldest, you know, feeling like she's loved and, and not that India's super special, you know, I mean, that she's not. It's just hard to right. get that balance and make them both happy and feel loved. And yeah. just, my wife kicks butt at that. She's, I don't know how she does it. But <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a really important thing to do and also a really hard balance because you can't really well, stop doing what just, you're doing. No, yeah, and my wife just, she's been in college for, we're, we've both been in college. She was going for her bachelor's in environmental science and she's about to graduate and was going to go in to get her master's degree but now we don't have the time for that right she needs full 24 7 care that she wants to do she doesn't i don't blame her for not trusting anybody else because mm-hmm. well, we so didn't even want her. yeah we didn't want to put her in daycare if we need to school her we'll school her and homeschool you know just because we can get across her better than somebody she doesn't know mm-hmm. we know she is and I mean, <clears throat> I don't know, it's just pretty rough for her too, so. Yeah. To keep everybody happy. Yeah, find balance for everybody. And you can't know in the same way, like you can't know what will be the best thing for her in one year or three yeah. years or five years. Like, yeah. And when you're in a busier place, like what kind of programs will be available? I'm sure yeah, there's true. No. more questions than answers right now. Shriners Hospital reached out about her wanting about wanting to help with flights and stuff. That, I forgot about that. Because Shriners Hospital here in the states has they help you fly you to your appointments if you have to go across the country and you don't have it locally. We don't. There's right. L.A., Denver, and somewhere back east. Mm-hmm. Can't remember. I think John Hopkins. Okay. So I know there's one there in John, John Hopkins. Um, but still, that's nowhere near. So Shriners has offered their help too, and I forgot to mention that. But yeah, it's gonna be a long road. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that's like we're learning so much about how bodies work, which is good. But yeah. you're like, I'm still in the middle of it right now, like you said, where there's just no information, and you Google it, and you can't find anything. Well, there's nothing published. Yeah. About. Disease. There's like SCA one, two, three, four, uh, seven, and eight. Those those are like the main mainstream versions of it. Yeah. That are known, and they have a bunch of information on that, as far as I could find. But all the other ones, there's nothing. Right. Like they have a name, but not much else available yet. Have a name. They can tell you what gene it mutated in, and that's yeah. it. No lifespan. How it's happened. How old they were. Like. Right. There's one boy who had something similar to her but they stopped following him at 10 years old and he's like 14 now so we can't find out if he's in a wheelchair yet right. and it wasn't even disease anymore so it was like well yeah we're just shooting yeah it's new territory yeah new territory yeah which i can imagine if i were in that position that like creates a lot of room for optimism like there's definitely hope because they don't know but that also would make it much scarier because they don't know yeah yeah totally totally um 
I think we've covered a lot of my like main questions or points that I usually cover. Is there anything else that has stood out to you about this experience or that you've like thought about while we've been talking or, I mean, you've been doing a lot of research and a lot of outreach at the same time. So I'm sure your brain is very busy, but is there anything we haven't covered basically? <laughs> no, I think we've, we've pretty much covered everything. I just think that in the, in the lieu of learning about her new disease and the research shows about 150,000 kids or people, excuse me, people, mm-hmm. not just kids, are from the U.S. have it, uh, some type of SCA. Mm-hmm. And there's literally no specialized organization to help with that. There's the National Ataxia, mm-hmm. which kind of helps in all the different types. But I think with this being said, I, I think me and my wife have been talking about trying to find something specifically for SCA because it's so serious. And there's yeah. other serious out there i'm not trying to downplay that no but that's not what it's about jesus and this is what i'm caring about right now so yeah i know with thinking about this and then the news media and getting a hold of you because i think you added me on instagram yeah i like i i look through the like disease and illness hashtags sometimes because like that's the world that i'm living in now so hashtags in there i was like somebody's gonna see yeah It's true. It's true. Cause I do. Cause it's, I mean, it's, there's a community and certainly so for people living with chronic illness, it's like, Oh, mm-hmm. this is a question that I have for you actually. But so for people with living with chronic illness, they're like, Instagram can be really great. Cause you can connect with people who, even if they don't share your diagnosis, like they might share some of your experiences. And so there's really great community there and it can, people build really helpful support networks. So yeah. You guys are also, I know, so, so fresh, but have you been able to find, like, support for the two of you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, networks and whatever it is. I don't know what the version we would be. Are, we, we are in a couple of, uh, there's one specifically for SCA mm-hmm. that me and my wife are both a part of. And then I'm, I, I think my wife might have started it the group i'm not 100 sure but it's it's called poca parents of kids with ataxia mm-hmm. and there's so <clears throat> so now we can take that instead of you know we still care about the adults that have this disease but they they have lived their basically full life they're not starting to get bad symptoms until their late 50s 60s and 70s so the parents of kids they can they're in the same boat as us their kids have right. this disease whether yeah. it's a severe fatal or mild version and there can be more support, not just for us, but there's other kids out there that are having this problem that she can relate to. So she doesn't feel like she's alone in this world. She don't know what's going on right now. Right. I don't want her to think she's different. That would break my heart if somebody treated her like that. It'd make me rather mad. So having these kids and these groups where she has people she can talk to. And, you know, if I have to, I will find a way to make her have her be able to meet these kids and play with them and be a kid, you know? Yeah. She doesn't need this disease to keep her stuck up in the house all the time and not be able to go play at the playground. And we'll make sure she has that kind of life. And I think that group, even though they're spread out across the U.S., the East Coast, West Coast, I think we're the only ones in Alaska. (laughs) Yeah. Eventually we'll get together. We'll make a a road trip out of it and go see all these people and I can get us out there. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like it would be really important for you guys and, yeah, for her in the future. Because that's something that I, I guess when I was younger, like I never, I didn't know very much about like disability activism, for example. And it's something that I've learned a lot about in the last 10 years, maybe. 
And it's like yeah. you as you kind of surround yourself with people who are a little bit ahead of you and a little bit behind you on the experience of it can be so helpful. So you're like, oh, I know how to talk about this now. I know I know like what might be helpful or what to try next or, you know, just like having people to bring whatever you're facing as parents and with her yeah. too. You can find something that like, I'm sure we're going to hit many walls and have to find our way around them and whatever. But if we can save the next person from having to hit that wall and they can just use the shortcut that we figure out, you know, it, make it easier and quicker for everybody else. And that's, I mean, we're doing the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Just connecting people. That sounds mm-hmm. like a very good thing. Even if I know sometimes online support groups can be difficult. Cool. <laughs> yeah. We, there's been a couple where people have voiced their, because I mean, they get so frustrated with their disease about how it's affecting them and they get pissed or they, they'll vent their frustration to the group. And I totally understand that. But then they start attacking people like, no, you don't know how I feel. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't know how you feel. I don't have a disease and I'm sorry, but my kid does. And that affects me worse than if I had it. Yeah. I, that's how I feel. Anyway. Right. It just feels different. It just feels different. Yeah. Yeah. And I think they're like anywhere online. It's like there's a tendency people can get kind of competitive almost about their symptoms. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just not, it doesn't need to work that way. Hi. Hi. (laughs) Hello. Yeah. It's always fun to see a little face. She's like, where'd that person come from? Who is that? Oh, she'll take it and hang up on. <laughs> Almost done. Hold on. Yeah, it's okay. We we can start to wrap up. Um, she's done. It's okay. Yeah. Well, you. I mean, you've talked to me for forty five minutes, which is a long time for a little one to watch their parent focus on something else. Other than that, come here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, because I think that was my last question. Um, and. Yeah. Thank you so much for talking to me uh, and for sharing your story and India's story over there. Thank you for listening to episode 20 of No End in Sight. Since we recorded that episode, Blake and his family have successfully moved down to the lower 48. And you can find their GoFundMe with updates, um, the link at the bottom of the episode transcript. In the next episode, I'll be talking to a woman with PMDD and Lyme disease. So make sure you subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want updates about the show and to read my favorite quotes while I'm working on transcripts, follow me on Twitter at BennisB and check out at No End Insight Pod on Instagram. And that's with periods instead of spaces. And don't forget that I have a small Facebook group called Chronic Hustlers for people living with chronic conditions who are self-employed. It's pretty small right now, but I'd love it to become a place where we share resources about building a business while prioritizing our health. And finally, this podcast is supported by my cross-stitch company, Digital Artisanal. When I'm up for it, I make simple modern patterns that you'll actually want to hang in your home. I love to cross-stitch as a way to feel productive during flares when I'm stranded in front of the television and watching like every episode of Criminal Minds. Uh, So I think you might like it too. I'm slowly working on my winter patterns, although I think I might have to change tack. Um, But I'd love it if you checked us out anyway at digitalartisanal.com. Thanks for listening.